0: You're listening to a special Irish Times audience recording of the Fertility Podcast in association with VHI Healthcare. It's presented by Maya Dunphy and her guests are Declan Keane, an embryologist and a founder of Repromed, Ruth Pethrick, a teacher and mother of one, and Helen Brown, a nurse and founder of NISIC, which is the National Infertility Support Group. We join them as Maya introduces the theme of the event.
1: The theme of tonight's conversation is about support, because I think there are so many different conversations you can have about fertility, um, so many different angles you can come from, but tonight we are talking about support in all its forms, and I think th- there are elements of support that we might not even think about. There is you know, emotional support, psychological support, medical support, and even financial support, which is also very important. Um, so I think the best place to start is, as Mary Poppins would say, at the beginning, um, maybe with you, Declan, because um, first protocol for many people who are trying to conceive, um, they might go to their GP, they might look online and they find ReproMed. Hmm. So when people come through your doors, um, do you find they're, they're anxious to begin with?
0: Yeah, I certainly think that people are quite anxious. I think they're in a process of trying to get information firstly. They're at a loss as to why things aren't happening as they are for everybody else around them. Uh, They may have been through GP. A lot of people are now self-referring through the internet. um, And they present very much looking for, tell me what the problem is. But before we can tell them what the problem is, there's a battery of tests normally that we have to do most important thing is we take a history from the patient and that's going to give us a lot of information about the trials and tribulations they've had in the past in a medical surgical history putting all that together with their menstrual history and then saying okay this is how it should be happening for you a good old-fashioned way um, and this is where problems might be arising and from that we can dictate a certain list of tests and once we get the information back Then we sit down together as a team at the table and say, here's the information and this is what we think we should be doing with the information. And that is important because we heard from Ruth and Sam that often people are being told what they must do, but giving them the information, including them, gives them back control and it gives them back dignity again. So that's really, really important. So a lot of people come in with a plan in their head, but it's changed by the time we get their test results.
1: Do people, are people overwhelmed, do you think?
0: I think I would be if yeah. I was in the position. We go through life just expecting that we'll have a baby when we want. There's difficulties. It puts a huge stress, a stress on relationships. Um, and they're overwhelmed, absolutely. And there's a lot of grief. There's a lot of anger. Um, there's a lot of not accepting this, finger pointing, a blame apportionment. And then once we get through all those and we start gathering the information then we take the control back and we try to take some of the emotion out of things. But it's very hard. It's a very emotional subject.
1: It's hugely emotional. Mm. When you say, Jackson, about people come in think of all the things they must do and mm. then you turn that around, what do you mean by that? Do you mean things that they shouldn't be doing?
0: Uh, no, I think what we normally do is, as I say, we take a history, which is just asking them to give us all the information about their past. And sometimes you have to fish and tease for information that they don't think is relevant. Um, but it often is they will think that I should be going directly for certain medications that they've heard about on the internet, that their friends have been taking. Um, People request IVF, and it certainly is not a magic wand. It's not appropriate in many, many cases. So we try to take away what they've learned off Google, um, what they've heard from the old wives' tales, chat rooms, and we try to educate them and then say, right, this is what we propose. Do you understand why we want to do this? And often they change the way they look at things. Yeah. But they're, they're involved and they're back in control again. Yeah.
1: Like I said, we're here to talk about support today. Do you find that that's something that you can bring up with people at an initial stage of the, of the process of saying to people, this is a really important thing. This is going to be very hard on you.
0: I think we try to look for people to create support themselves. By the time they come in, We The panel had talked earlier and we talked about people aren't making love anymore, they're making a baby. So that divide is creeping into things. Um, By dragging the man more to the fore of things well, because normally the female is pushing things forward, Um, then we get that team effort back again. But certainly in our clinics we would say that support, counselling support, uh, often people have holistic therapists, it's very important because it gives them this Backup that they can take control back out in the community as well, away from the fertility clinic. Um, but yes, certainly counselling is a very, very important what we're doing because you must prepare for... Not everybody is successful. You must prepare for the hardship of the journey that lies ahead. And certainly you will see that a number of people will suffer separation during this process, a relationship strain that is just tremendously difficult to see it.
1: Because in, in my very limited experience, um, fertility is still relatively a new and, and rapidly developing part of medicine, and sometimes it moves so fast that the emotional side doesn't always keep up. I mean, Ruth, we spoke a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about um, your experience, and you went through seven rounds of IVF.
2: Yeah, Was so your experience
1: good, yeah. at the start with clinics that you felt
2: supported? Um, I mean, I do think they try their best and, you know, like with all nurses and, and medics, you know, they're, they're under pressure and they're, they're trying to deal with people. And overall, I think we found, you know, the staff to be doing as well as they could. But yeah, you do feel sometimes like you're on a conveyor belt um, in some clinics and they're not all the same, uh, but that sense of you're just another another number, another couple coming in, and I know we would have had that experience on a number of occasions. Um, and, yeah, as was the word clinical, does come to mind uh, the issue of counselling. Um, from recollection, I think the only time we were offered uh, counselling was when we lost the, the baby after the first cycle. I think that was the only time we were offered counselling, but not counselling to deal with, the issues surrounding the choices we were making and are yeah. the very they're inordinately difficult choices because as Declan said you suddenly find yourself in this new world you have a whole new lingo that you didn't you knew nothing about previously this medical lingo yeah, it's not pub chat is it yeah, yeah you know and it's not and exactly and it's you you're you're half of it is 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 I suppose, information you've gleaned from the internet. Some of it is information you've got from the medics. Um, and it's very hard sometimes to sift through what's, what's what. But so you arrive in the clinic and you've got all of this information. And <clears throat> really, I suppose, you are given the information, but you have to go away then as a couple and talk about that and make decisions. And it's very hard to talk about because as Declan said, it's not something that you anticipate in your life. We all think, you know, when we're in our 20s, you know, at some particular point, I'm, I'm going to have kids. And I was talking last week about I teach relationships and sexuality at a senior level in secondary school. And they have their lives mapped out, as we all did, or they think they do. And they will talk about, you know, how many kids they want to have and you know the kind of life they're anticipating and we all do that um and it's so far in the future for them so it's a lifetime so far, away. exactly it's so far ahead uh but we all have those ideas so when this hits you it's it's like being run over by a train you just suddenly have to face Declan mentioned you know grief you know there's a, there's a, a loss associated with it because it's not going to just happen naturally for you if it happens at all, um, so you have to, to to deal with all of that. and then you're two individual people um, leaving aside the gender issues which 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 are I think very relevant because I think men and women deal with these issues very, very differently. Uh, you're also two individual people who have different approaches to dealing with situations in life so you I think the issue of counselling is enormously important actually and certainly I would have sought out counselling but for myself quite separate to to um, any clinics that we were we were uh, dealing with
1: Yeah. yeah I think what's interesting and I spoke to Helen about this earlier on is that a lot of people I have spoken to around this issue have said, no, there was no support on offer and I wasn't offered counselling. But as, as we said earlier, Helen, people often, they they walk into a clinical situation and they get blindsided and they're
3: overwhelmed and intimidated. I mean, I've said to them, how did you hear about, oh, I'm four years in the clinic, we never heard about you, oh, no, my God, it's wonderful. And I said, did you not see our newsletters in the clinics? And they'd but you go in with blinkers on and head down and... Everybody's there for the same reason, but you're so frightened that you're going to meet somebody that you know. And and I think as well, when I was speaking to a few people, they're terribly afraid to be asked, and what is your story? Because a lot of couples don't, uh, males are still very uncomfortable in saying it's a male issue. A lot of females will say it's a female issue, even if it isn't, to protect the male if both males are coming to meetings. But if they are coming together, they have that agreement. You know, please don't say it's me. For me, when it was after my second failed IVF treatment and I rang around the maternity hospitals to see was there a counselling or a support group. And uh, there wasn't. And I, I'm a nurse and I worked in a paediatric unit. So I rang up Eileen, who was one of our social workers. Now at this stage, I it was my second failed treatment or unsuccessful treatment and I was still in my dressing gown three days later I just was in the a really black hole and um, Eileen said because I live quite near the hospital she said she'd come out to me I said no 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 no, you're working so she came back to me she told me to go and she recommended this lady who'd see me two hours later I'd say she was nervous about me so I went in, and after five minutes, I knew it wasn't counselling I needed. I really needed to meet with other people who were going through what I was going through, because the some words I just felt what I was going through, the the words weren't even in the dictionary. It was worse than devastation. It was it was it was just horrendous. And I suppose because you're so alone, and you, you know your family really don't understand. They try to understand, and for me. You know, I had unsuccessful treatment, and I would have said it to my mum and my sisters, and they said, "I'm really sorry." And then, when I said I had the miscarriage, I got hugs and tears, and that made me very sad because I needed that for my failed treatment. So the failed treatment isn't looked on as psych- or as physically devastating, you know. See, yeah. So, well,
1: if I do, you mind if I share your story, Helen? Because you went through. Um, seven, was it seven rounds of IVF he went through and actually that, getting back to what Declan said, it's very important to discuss that not every, the same way that even two very healthy 25-year-olds having sex, the old-fashioned way as we keep saying, um, won't, there's never 100% chance of pregnancy in any situation and with IVF, I don't know the exact percentage but there are going to be some people who go through it many times and who don't end up with a baby of their own and you've used the word failed there which is an awful word to use I know Declan prefers unsuccessful but that's obviously how you felt at the time of
3: course. and I do feel and I still feel that my body did fail me I really do you know my womb failed me you know I remember one time saying to to my husband God you know it might as well be whipped out What's it? it's useless you know that's really how I felt and it did fail me my body did fail me now I mean after going through everything and yes having the support group meetings being a facilitator is different than going to meetings so I felt I was carrying everybody else yes I did go for counselling at the very very when I as I had to finish the journey it was just too stressful and I remember um as you said, a former woman. I remember going in and I gave him a crash course on infertility in about 20 seconds, <laughs> as if he needed to know. And then I said, Look, I said, you know, I really I'm just depressed. I'm in a black hole. I'm just finding it very difficult to get out of. I need to go and go on Prozac. I need something like that. Just lift me out. And he said, You're not depressed. And I said, I know I am. And he said, No, he said, You're grieving. And it's the first time she's ever said to me.
1: And it is—it is—it's a bereavement. And I know, Ruth, you said that to me before about the unsuccessful um, every treatments you've had. Them
2: is it involves grieving. Every yeah. single. Um,
1: and I have to say, I, Helen, I haven't thought of it that way. As you say, in terms of miscarriage, it's very tangible for for oh, everyone to understand oh. that. But an unsuccessful treatment, people think, oh yeah, they tried and it didn't work that no, time. Yeah. And actually, every time is another.
2: Because you have to, you have to build yourself up. It do, you know it's it, it's like anything. You don't you don't go into a marathon saying, um, oh, I probably won't finish it. You know, I, I probably won't finish. You know, I probably won't. I, I'll probably, you know, duck out halfway yeah. around. You go in saying, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm really going to get to the finishing line. And it's exactly the same. Every single time you build yourself up and you, not just physically, but you build yourself up emotionally, you start again. I don't know how you start again. I honestly don't. When I look back now, yes. I think, how? I don't know how I did that time yeah. after time. I don't know yeah. how we did that time after time. Um, and you, you, you build yourself up and you, you somewhere hope, springs every single time and so yeah there's a huge loss when it doesn't work and then I suppose we we would have started out being very open and talking about it with family and friends and then after a few cycles you just think it's just too hard it's too hard to tell people because People are also trying to do their best. They don't know what to say. Really, yeah. um, and then they say all the wrong things, but they don't even know they're saying the wrong things. And it's just all very hurtful. And so you end up then telling nobody. And so then the effect of that is very you're on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And you're completely isolated yeah. and you feel very uh, lonely. Yeah. yeah, And then people are hurt by the fact that you didn't tell them. And it's this awful cycle of you don't know what to do for the best. Um, you know, I would have told, I suppose, close cl- my closest friends, maybe, um, and my sister. And uh, but other than that, we kind of more or less kept it to ourselves. Yeah. And so you're trying to deal with it between yourselves, and then you're arguing over it, and you're it's
3: it is terribly, yeah. terribly I difficult. I still have the situation of meeting friends like. I would say I found it incredibly difficult to go into maternity hospital, really very difficult. And I remember we had a meeting and one girl said, why don't you tell them you were cold? I said, what an idea. So I'd ring them up, thank God for mobiles, and I'd start sneezing. And of course they don't want you near their baby, I mean, no way. And then I'd say, I'll call to the house. And then when I'm in a good place, then I'd call to the house. And of course, I'd be delighted for them. But uh, it's very, you know, when you're not in a good place, it's very difficult to do things. Same as going to christenings, holy communions, and things like that. I would say, if you're finding it difficult, don't torture yourself. Make an excuse to leave. You owe that to yourself, you know, rather than sitting there crying. Because you get very upset then if you cry in front of people. And then you feel, you know, I shouldn't have done that. So, you know, just you have to protect yourself and mind yourself.
1: I know it will always be with you, Helen, and you're such an extraordinary woman for for the work you've done for other people. But how did you build yourself back up? It took
3: two years of counselling. Now, I hate saying that to people because people say, I spent so much money on treatment, am I going to spend two years? Not everybody spends two years because in the middle of all that, both my parents died, so I had a lot of things to kind of... Um, deal with, but I did it for two years because I had worked in pediatrics for years and he was encouraging me to leave and I couldn't leave because I said I couldn't. How could I cope with an adult answering me in the wards when I'm used to babies and, you know, and so it took me quite a while. Um, but I, it took, I was so delighted I did it because I don't have the anger and the frustration and the bitterness which are, which was not me. But it took over my life you know I'd be angry I would look at these young ones 16 17 and they're roaring at their child and and I'd be and I'd be angry against God you know look what you're giving the children to the wrong people they're wrong their parents that should never be parents and it was just all these feelings were terrible and it dragged me down and he gave me the tools to kind of deal with all that so that's all gone now but I will really, always miss not being your mother
1: because you said that, Jacqueline, about um, we talk about acceptance when it when it, it doesn't result in a baby but you said to me that people are often quite angry towards you as well which is understandable in many ways
0: I think people are angry because every month you try but you can always say okay it, it hurts when you know the cycle doesn't work out that month but we can try again but when you're paying so much money and it's invasive you put your emotions on the line. Now, you have to have something at the back of your tummy saying, this could work for me this month. But you're also trying to plant their feet right back down the ground. And of course, at the end of it, you're saying, why didn't it work? I gave you sperm, I gave you eggs. What did you do wrong? You're saying, there is no magic wand with IVF. In fact, that's why we want to be a fertility clinic rather than an IVF clinic, because if we can fix things at the very beginning, and that's where we embrace ideas like counseling and holistic therapies and educating patients because, you know, 20% of people who come to the clinic for a chat and others here in the room that are in IVF clinics, 20% of people will get pregnant themselves just having a chat. People think that there's a magic wand and I call you it. You get
1: pregnant just having a chat. <laughs> no. Let's not say
4: that.
0: That is, that is a funny story. Somebody came. Not at Christmas parties. <laughs> A number of years ago, a couple came to the room and I said, just sitting on the lucky couch, thats going to that really makes a big difference. And he said, what do we have to do here? And I said, no, whoa, whoa, just go home first. Um, but yeah, people have high expectations.
1: Yeah, well, Samantha, who's, hello, Samantha. Hi. Um, Samantha's story was uh, incredible. If anyone didn't hear the first podcast, which obviously you all did, um, you had two rounds of IVF, didn't you? That's right. And then you were told there was no chance. I was told I had no eggs and that I would never, ever get pregnant. And that was the end. And that was just shell shock for me. But subsequently, I did get pregnant um, and I have two boys now. So that was a big shock, but a great one. And um, I do think, though, myself, that the fertility treatment did give me a boost along the way. I don't know. That's what I... I, I justify it. That's what I say, um, but it's 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 unbelievable. It's a it's a long journey for a lot of people, and um, it has an awful lot of ups and downs. Yeah. See, that's the thing. I think we live in a world where everybody wants statistics, and they want facts, and they want to know what they can do. We want to fix things. We don't want to be told. We don't really know what's going
0: on here. Yeah, we're so used to being able to, with our mobile phones and our computers and booking things online, but this is human reproductive biology. There's, there's so many factors at play that we just can't control them all. And like Sam said there, I listened to the podcast and it sounded it's so familiar. I've had a few patients come into the clinic where they're told your AMH, blood test, a predictor of your ovarian reserve, is in your boots, quote unquote and uh, your FSH is through the roof, and you're barren. Imagine using the word barren to somebody. Gosh. And then out of a 100 people, I'd say two or three every year when you say, go away, you're thinking about donor egg. Donated egg is a great option for people. Two or three people will get pregnant themselves. So you, you don't always have to accept what's told to you. You have to keep trying yourselves until you feel This way is a better option for me, but you never give up trying.
1: So, friends, I spoken to when you say to people, "Yeah, "Yeah, you have to just not stress." They go, "Oh, do you know about not stressing?" When that's that's the the one thing they are doing. And I'm your your daughter's daddy is in the audience, Vincent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes, we're coming to you now, Vincent, because you know you talk about the importance (laughs) of of being supported. But Vincent, from I was chatting to earlier, and actually from. Man's point of view, it's something that was still not that open, where men still aren't that open about discussing this amongst themselves, are they? Um,
4: no, it's, it's hard to know where to start, actually, with it. Uh, for me, it, it reminded me to somewhat, like, it happened so quick in our case that Ruth discovered she couldn't get pregnant, and literally within it seemed like a week, even though, even though it wasn't your into plan B given yeah. the age factor in our case for me obviously asking me the question it's a lot of it is a blur, and I was absolutely terrified for a hell of a lot of it you know and then as you the question you asked me then obviously in terms of men um it just uh, it possibly some of it was me because I'm a product of this country if you like and uh, there was just nobody I could talk to about it
1: so you wouldn't have brought it up with, with male friends of yours?
4: I couldn't, no. I, I, well, at least I felt I couldn't. They didn't. I'd never heard of it before in my life, you know. IVF. i not a clue what it, what it even meant, the letters, you know. And uh, so I, I decided, I mean, I have to take some of the blame myself. I certainly didn't bring it up, you know, anywhere. And it's a, I know you may feel it's not relevant, but it is to me. I suffer from depression, so I, I, it depressed me a bit at times. So I just felt everything close in on me you know not all of the time but it's as Ruth said you know it's 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 so big it just it just it, it takes over your life, it really does, and it paralyzes you in so many ways. When
1: I first met Ruth, one thing we said is, this is, you know, this is a very serious
2: discussion, but you said you have to try and keep a sense of humour. It's very important, and I think actually it may have been one of the things that, that did keep us semi-same throughout it all, is that we, we probably both have a good sense of humour. Yeah. But I think what Vincent is saying is really important. Um, Vincent is acknowledging he was terrified. I think I was terrified, but I I didn't want to acknowledge I was terrified. So I just wanted to to just keep going. Just, you know, we just keep going. We just have to keep going. We have to start again, try again. Whereas I think Vincent was much more able to acknowledge, I'm I'm finding this really, really... I'm really terrified of all of this. I don't know where this is going. And then the financial impact of it on us um, on an ongoing basis over all of those years. You just cannot fathom the the financial impact really on 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 your your life um so I do think but you're so you're trying to 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 maintain that sense of humor and you do but at the end of the day it you know it it has huge impact on your on your emotional well-being and on your relationship I mean you know Vincent and I are not are not together anymore um and I'm not saying that's the only reason but it certainly didn't help matters um, it certainly was a huge stressor in our in our marriage um, and having said that on a, on another level we, we've managed to maintain a very good relationship um, as parents of our, our little girl and i think on another level you can't have gone through everything that we went through yeah. without having a very strong and deep yeah. connection yeah. so it's it's yeah. a, it's a mixed it's a mixed bag. In a, well, in despite not being way. together, I, I see
1: how well you get on, how much you respect each other. And for a couple who can still joke about uh, being given a cup to fill at half eight in the morning, you know, because that's the other side of it. It's a case because
4: of picking your arguments. There's a room full of women, mostly women. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you, but if you can't find the levity at those moments, you know. Absolutely. I think you have to. You you absolutely have to because it's... it's Vincent made the analogy of a funeral, and it is a little bit like that. You know that at funerals, you you laugh, you cry, you go through the gamut of emotions, and it's it's like that. You 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 you're going through a whole range of emotions, and you just have to go through them. You know, um, but yeah, a sense of humor I do think is very very important, and a positive outlook for me was hugely important. I believed um, that it was going to be, to happen. Sometimes probably foolishly or in a foolhardy way I remember Sam last week talking about you know being given a two percent chance was it Sam a two percent chance but thinking gosh it's two percent you know and I can completely identify with that
3: I've had so many males ringing me to say what can I do to help her I don't know what to do and I just say reassure her reassure her that you love her and just give her a hug and the amount of men that said, I've tried and she pushed me away, I said, go back again. You know, five minutes later, she might feel bad and say, and I said, give yourselves time, take her out for a meal. And and even if when, when women ring, I, and I know it's very difficult, and even if us have been through it, it's very hard to switch it off. Mm. And I'd say, just take a fertility break, just go out, have something to eat, and don't talk about it.
1: But I think sometimes as well, it's there comes a point, I mean, Declan, maybe you can help me out here. How may, how long is too long to pursue this? I mean, I know, Ruth, you did seven cycles. Helen, you did seven cycles. Sometimes maybe it's the husband or partner saying, I think for even for financial reasons, for emotional reasons, and for personal reasons, look, after three or four, that, you know, we have to stop now. Does there come a point, Declan, where you might say to people, I think it's time to take a break?
0: Yeah, there was this unwritten rule in Ireland. People still quoted, "Oh, you should only have three cycles. I think that came from the original IVF unit where somebody would say, if it's not working, go off and get on with life. Okay, And the happy outcome for some people is they never get pregnant, but they've tried everything. So really regret is the worst thing in life. Oh. So once you try something and you feel you're involved and you weren't on the production line, people will come back and thank you for that at least. But how many is the lucky number? You couldn't say a lucky number because some people get pregnant first time. The 28-year-old who comes in with a low egg reserve, um, she gets pregnant. And, you know, the 42-year-old who's trying and trying and trying, and you flip that and you see the 42-year-old get pregnant and the 28-year-old never gets pregnant. So what's going on there? We have no control. And you look at this prime example where Ruth really went uh, beyond and beyond and spent tens of thousands of euros and eventually got pregnant. And you look at Sam who said, we have to stop now. And she got pregnant herself. But there are so many people out there. I've met people who spent hundreds of thousands of euros going outside of Ireland, going to the States, etc. If they can afford it, fine. But it's not just the finance. It's the physical invasion for the female's body. It's the drugs. It's this huge emotional stress on the two of them. And you can see the relationship deteriorate. But I think only a couple can make that call. Yes. Yeah. Only a couple can say that.
3: Did you make that decision <coughs> yeah, yourself and Jerry together? Helen? Yeah, it's, we definitely. Fi- we were very fortunate the fact that we work close to where we live, so we had two cars. So we sold one, and then we were very lucky that the credit union was there, so we we had to borrow, but. It, we couldn't borrow any more. I remember saying to Jared, look, let's go once more. And I swear, I mean, how I, many times I, think after the fifth time I swore, we would never go again. And we went, and we went again and again. And I said it to him, and he said, I said, we'll borrow. And he said, yes, we can borrow. We might have the money to pay it back. Like we're stretched, we, we extended our mortgage. But I just felt for me, I was just so tired. I was so drained emotionally and physically and financially. But I felt as well, it just, like, I really have to put my energy back into my marriage here. Like, the minute I had endometriosis, and I knew before I got married, I said it to Ger, the chances are that we can't have children. And uh, he said, I'm. don't worry about that. But I wanted to have children. I wanted to have at least four, because I came from a family of seven. So I was used to kind of... Siblings around the place, and uh, then when we, you know, about IVF, and he hadn't a clue, hadn't a clue what IVF was, and um, so, and I didn't know very much about IVF myself. There's only one clinic in Ireland at the time, and uh, so I just I said, look, we'll have to do it because like that, I did not want to have regrets, and I can put my hand to my heart and say now that, you know, I've no regrets. I'm delighted I did it. I can be angry against God at times. Do you know what I mean when certain things come up? And uh, but said uh, no, it's uh, no, it's, it's just no, I was just too tired.
2: Yeah, regret's a very I, dangerous I just thing. Had to
3: get to know, I had to get to know Helen again. Helen had to come back again. And, and now Helen it. is helping countless with other people as well, which must be a comfort to you. Yeah, there. But sure, it's just that I know where they've been, and at least they they're speaking to people who know what they've been through. Yeah, because sometimes it's very difficult. you cannot get the understanding from people. Who, do, who haven't been there? It's very difficult. As much as they, as much as my mother, you know, really hugged me and all that, but I, she just didn't know. You know, she just didn't know.
1: She didn't know what what it was like. It was
3: like not to have children. You know, Ruth, were you dissuaded by
2: anybody
1: about going for a fourth time or a fifth time? I mean, did um, people yeah, say oh, to you, there look were, it's
2: time to let it go. Well, there were lots of people in our in our in our lives lives that that sort of would have said. Um, do you not think yeah. you should stop now? Yeah. And mostly it was out of concern, not mostly, it was yeah. always out of concern for us, but it's extraordinarily difficult to hear that um, because it was always people who had children as well and, you know, they would say to us, you know, oh, you know, but, you're, you know, you, you're so talented and you can do this and you can do that and you can have a really full life without children. And that's all true, but the only person who can make that decision, as Helen is saying, is you. So when other people are saying that to you, um, it's, it's very, very difficult to hear.
1: I think I want nice to finish off with them. Um, I was going to ask each of you in your kind of respective areas of expertise what is the right thing to say and what is the right thing to do? For me,
2: I think the thing to do is just exactly Isn't that it? is ask, what do you need? What can I do? Um, and, and try not to worry about saying the wrong thing. Maybe. Try, try not so hard to say something, uh, or to be, uh, to know what to say. A little bit again, like with grieving, people don't know what to say, so they often say nothing. We were talking about that earlier. But don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. But maybe ask, what What do you need? What can I do? Or what can yeah, what I? Can can I what help can I can I give you? And it may be something as simple as, I don't know, coming over to the house with it. Of ben and Jerry. like I don't know it could be something completely random uh that that's not that you think is not going to be that helpful but actually it will be and that would be my just ask ask the person what they need um they may not know but you may figure it out
3: together and I think sometimes that we're we can be on a rant and we can keep going on just listen I think the worst thing to do is say, well, I know somebody now and they changed the clinic. They went to this person. You do not give advice. Most people have all their research done. They know exactly what they're doing. And uh, not to say any things like it's the will of God and things like that. That just drives everybody mad. I think the most important is to listen and just let them off and, you know, just nod and like that. Now, let's go for a facial or treat her, you know, and, you know. Jeffy, would you, would you agree, agree with that or? Make a phone call away as well just say that you know when you phone
0: call away yeah I mean, that? yeah i certainly think uh one thing is don't say relax okay because you're going to get a punch in the nose <laughs> uh, i certainly think less is more but the offer of support is there i think that's really key but the fertility issue is like an old friend it'll crop up every once in a while and it'll just pluck away the strings at the heart so you know, for everybody here. So I think just being there in the background is it. Yeah. Just the presence of friendly support yeah. is a lot of people, that's enough. But I'm not, I'm not an expert in that sort of stuff. So I think you have to treat each individual case depends on the bond between people.
1: But well, if in doubt yet, yeah, what can I do is a good place to start. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Fertility, a special Irish Times podcast in association with VHI Healthcare. This series continues on irishtimes.com forward slash fertility. Thank you for listening.